You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's final lesson of the Deliverance module, Philip Edwards completes this teaching by instructing us how to keep free. Scripture instructs us, above all else, we must guard our heart, for it is from there that life flows. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk to see the latest events and for all the other ministries we have to offer. You can also follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Normally what I've done, or I've done it three, two, two out of the three weeks and this will be the fourth uh, fourth or the third out of the fourth weeks that I start with a scripture a passage of scripture where we just unpack the teaching uh, that, that the word of God gives us on deliverance before we actually go into teaching and explaining in that particular way so all the passages I've taken have been from uh, Mark's gospel and there's another one tonight in Mark I want us to look at before we can turn to the notes it's found in Mark chapter 9 And we're going to look at verses 14 to 29. When they came to the other other disciples, they saw a a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. This follows where Jesus has been up the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, he took uh, Peter, James and John and, and they... They saw Moses, they saw Elijah, and God spoke to them out of the cloud, and they had this wonderful experience. And then they come down the mountain, and it's as though the glory of the Lord is shining through the very clothes of Jesus that he's wearing. And as he comes down the mountain, Jesus sees this crowd of people all around the disciples, and there's a bit of a a disturbance, there's, there's lots of things going on there. So he goes to them and he, he asks them what's going on. It says, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. I think it was the fact that he was, there was a glow that was coming from him and they, they ran to see what that thing was. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. Presumably, he asked his disciples why the people were arguing. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that robs him of his speech. We've got that word possession again. Remember, we said we would prefer it if we said the person was with or had an evil spirit. And this spirit robs this boy, this, uh, I presume he's a boy of maybe... Uh, 15 or 16 years of age, he robs him of his speech, his ability to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. So uh, you might have seen this physically where someone maybe has a fit and they're they're thrown to the ground and, and their teeth start to maybe grind together, they're foaming. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Some commentators of this have said, what we see here is that this man came to the disciples. Uh, Sometimes we are in danger of that. We go to somebody 
for them to do something for us. We, we say, oh, the anointed man of God, we can go to him and expect him to do something. Now, fair dues, the, the disciples were anointed specifically to do this ministry, but were their eyes taken off God and only on these people that were doing the ministry? Sometimes we're taken up with a person's ministry and we lose sight sometimes that we should be looking at the God behind the person that has anointed them to do it. Because we find that Jesus, he rebukes the man, and I I think this is the basis of the rebuke. He calls them an unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Are we a believing generation or an unbelieving generation? Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? So we, as part of this generation, have an obligation to be people of faith, that he couldn't uh, come against us with that same accusation that we were an unbelieving generation. We are a, a generation that believes in the power and the demonstration of the power of God. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and he rolled around, uh, sorry, foaming at the mouth. Well, there's two things that we can see here. Is, Is the spirit within this boy seeking to intimidate Jesus, intimidate the people, intimidate the disciples? Because sometimes when, the, when Satan operating through someone is very gross and ugly, a lot of people are intimidated and frightened and they're pushed away from the enemy as though, oh, this is, this is terrible, we couldn't get involved in this sort of thing. So is he doing this in the boy simply to intimidate those around? Or is it that they're recognising the power and the authority in Jesus Christ and they have... They have no choice but to manifest and to fall. The the boy falls to the ground. So we don't know. We just have to read it and keep our minds really open to all the possibilities there. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? I I think this is interesting. The the boy's obviously fitting and very distraught. Jesus knows what, what the problem is. He obviously does. But he takes time to ask questions. I think when we're ministering to people, we should take time to ask some questions. The questions will help us to understand what's going on. Wimber once said, uh, used this expression, we're just students of the supernatural. And sometimes we must ask questions about what's going on so we understand more and more. And this is the father's response. He says, from childhood... So this evil spirit had got into this boy. He'd been with it, it seems, all the time. Whether it entered him as a child or started to simply manifest itself as a child, he said, from childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. So we've read that it robbed him of his speech and now it's seeking to kill him. These are the two expressions that are used here. And we know that John 10.10 says the thief, the enemy, he comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. So that lines up that scripture with these two uh, definitions of this spirit and what it's seeking to do. 
But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Interesting, he says, take pity on us. But they didn't both have the Spirit, just the boy had the Spirit. So why is he saying take pity on us? The thought is that those that take care of people or live with people that have demonic problems, they have difficult times as well. So a spirit entering into one person in a marriage, in a family, can be very destructive and tiring and exhausting on the other person as well. So you also get two for, for the price of one. So, so both the father and the boy, they're exhausted. Obviously the boy, because the spirit does awful things to him. But can you imagine the father? He couldn't take his eyes off this boy for a moment. He would throw himself into the fire and into the water. Maybe he even tied the boy to him. When, whenever, you know, you either lock him in, in the house so he was relatively safe, or if he went out, he would have to time. Or perhaps he couldn't go out with the boy. So it's very distressful to live with people or be with people that have demonic problems. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible to him who believes. Well, that's a well-quoted verse of scripture, and that's where it comes from. It's talking about the whole area of getting deliverance. Everything is possible to, for him who believes. It said, he, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. This is a really encouraging verse of scripture, but we could all say, I do believe, but there's a little bit of unbelief in me as well. Maybe we haven't got to that place of just believing outright. There's always an element of doubt, an element of question. Well, I find this verse is, is very encouraging. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, so whatever they, wherever they were looking at, now Jesus has appeared on the scene. They've come to see what Jesus is going to do. Um, and so he rebukes the spirit immediately. I don't think Jesus wants to make a show of this. He doesn't want to make a spectacle of people's problems. He would, I think in preference, take it to a quiet place. He would do it in secret. But there we are, it's happening in the open. It says, the deaf and the mute spirit, he said, this is how he commands it. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. So we see this naming of the spirit very clearly here. Uh, maybe in the natural, we would have called it maybe a spirit that was causing fits a spirit of epilepsy or a spirit of fitting. I don't know, but Jesus, he didn't call it that. He called it what the net result was of this boy's problem, a mute spirit and a deaf spirit. And he commands it to come out. And only on this occasion, uh, looking back to what Sarah, the question asked last week about where can we send them? He doesn't send the spirit anywhere, but he says, and you'll never enter him again. Now, he doesn't do this in any other case with deliverance. It seems the spirit is commanded to go. And then in Matthew, it says it comes to seek to gain re-entry. But because we've put our house in order, it can't find re-entry. So the natural thing for spirits to do is to come back into the house in which they've left. But he commands this spirit. He says, you'll not re-enter him again, whether because of the youngness of the, 
the candidate here or for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't explain it, but this spirit is not permitted to come back to the house which he left. Again, we see how evil spirits leave people. It says the spirit shrieked. It convulsed him violently. We saw that in Mark chapter 1 where he commanded the spirit out. It says he shook the man violently and it came out with a shriek. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. I've prayed for people and I've seen this ashen look, this white, white look. And if you look at them, you think, my Lord, they, they look like they're dead. And, and I've prayed for people on occasions. And as I've been coming against certain spirits, I've seen this death look come over people's faces. And instantly I've known what it is because sometimes in what you see is the manifestation of the spirit, which is the ability to discern what it is. And, and you come against a spirit of death and that spirit of death leaves. Now you say, well, how can a spirit of death get in? Well, maybe you've had a near-death experience or maybe death has come into the home in, in a certain way, maybe through attempting to commit suicide or uh, an overdose or something like that or something has come through the family where the curse of suicide has come through. So there's all different ways in which death could come into it. Some people wish to die they long to die. And in that longing and in that wishing, maybe that invites a spirit into them. So a spirit of death enters in as though it's been invited in. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and, and, and he stood up. After that, uh, sorry, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive this spirit out? Which is... That was good because they're disciples, remember. There's no shame attached to them not being able to do it. They're learning from their master, from their guru, from their teacher. And so they said, we've done deliverance before. We know they have. How come we couldn't do this one? And his response to them, uh, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And another version says, can only come out by prayer and fasting. So um, what it's indicating to us, there are different levels or degrees of demonic power in people. So you never know quite what you're coming up against. You could be praying against a spirit that simply leaves. We know that Jesus in, in Mark chapter 1, he's in the synagogue and he's preaching. And just by his preaching, this spirit manifests and comes out. We know... Uh, in the book of Acts, it tells us as Peter walked down the street, simply the shadow of Peter falling on the bodies of people who were demonized, the spirits left them. So we would think, oh, that left fairly simply, fairly easily. And yet when we see Jesus dealing with the, the demons from the, in the man in Gadara, he said he said to them again and again and again, you're to come out. So all we can draw from this probably is that we don't know what we're going to confront. We don't know how strong the demonic power is. And so we just approach it and we do our best to see that person set free. If we discern it's demonic or we believe that's a good course of action to take, sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not successful. Sometimes things leave almost quickly, immediately, and you think, well, that's good. 
Sometimes it takes a little bit more stubborn prayer and resistance on our part for things to go. Sometimes it leaves in part and, and there's more left and so we have to meet again and uh, do more deliverance as it were. So that's the story I wanted to bring to you because I want to, I want to ground everything that I teach on deliverance in the Word of God and we, we draw all these fantastic stories from Mark's Gospel and uh, we can... Uh, build our understanding of the whole subject, not from my experience or from someone's teaching of their experience, but by what the Word of God says. Our, what we understand and believe must be founded on the Word of God. You can have experience where God shows you things, you can hear people's testimony, but don't let testimony determine your doctrine. Testimony only comes to support doctrine, which you've you've discovered and you've learned or God has shown you from the scriptures and so testimony only supports it. If we build our doctrine on testimony, we will just jump to conclusions or the person sharing their testimony might have jumped to conclusions and we get our, we get our understanding of the things of God a little bit wrong. I've got to finish off this week. Um, well, it's a new lesson for you, but my book is slightly different. We're going to deal with finally how to cast demons out of people. Uh, and then finally, uh, after the break, we're going to uh, look at the, the topic of uh, having got ourselves free, how do we keep free? Because that's important, because we said it over and over again, these things can come back and they want to, so we've got to keep ourselves free. So if you've got your, uh, we're looking at uh, lesson seven here this evening, individual techniques. We all in ministry develop ways of doing things. You watch one person pray, watch another person pray, watch one how one person might speak or do something. People develop their own techniques because their personalities, they've got their own personality on how they want to do things and how they operate. Now, as long as people are operating in line with the scripture, that's fine. If they're own, they've got a, a particular thing they want someone to do, they might say, if someone comes in for deliverance, they might say, I would like you to kneel before I pray. Well, that isn't in scripture, that's a technique, and maybe they just like doing it like that. Maybe you, want, might, you want, sorry, might want to anoint somebody with oil, or uh, you might want to take communion before or after deliverance. Well, they're just techniques that we add to the whole ministry. In the end, signs follow them that believe. The, the main ingredient of deliverance isn't all these other little things on the side, but it is that we have faith. We have faith for the ministry and we, we know the authority we have uh, in Christ. So as long as your techniques are in line with scripture, it's fine. I, when I sit down and uh, minister to people, it's not something I like to do just a, a quick thing, like at the end of a meeting, say, well, you know, you go along a line and just put your hands on people and do it very quickly. I think if you've got time to sit with people and to ask them some questions, uh, that's the normal procedure for getting people set free. Firstly then, if I meet someone, I need to meet them in a quiet place. I need to meet them uh, preferably on home territory. If you go into somebody's house to minister, you don't know what's in that house. 
you don't know what's gone on in that house. Whereas if you're doing it on home territory, either in your church or in the vestry or in even your own home, you, you know that things are, are pretty well clean and sorted in that place. Encourage the person who's come for deliverance to relax. Most people come quite nervous, but that would be quite normal if you went to any interview or things where you weren't sure what's going on. You might have a sense of apprehension or nervousness. So always be conscious that people might need to be put at ease. They need to relax and make them comfortable, obviously, and, and all those sorts of things. Then start to ask them about their problem. Why have they come? What is it that's, that's troubling them? when they've explained those things to you and generally you probably need to have a notebook and you need to not jot these things down because sometimes when people start to speak and share their problems they do go on a bit now that's not because they talk a lot they've just realized that they've got a lot of problems when they start to open up about one thing and then this leads to something else and something else. And I know I can't never remember it. Sometimes I can't even remember the poor person's name. So uh, yeah, I always put the name down at the top of the page anyway. So, and then I listen to what they say, but I'm listening, listening. What I mean by that is I'm listening to what they're saying, but I'm saying, Holy Spirit, can you also talk to me? And, and explain to me what's important here. Help me see the wood from the trees. Uh, help me sort out what it is. I want to, when I pray or when I stand against these things, I want to be accurate in my, my attack. Like Paul says, you know, we don't punch uh, or run aimlessly. We don't, we don't punch wildly. We want, we want, when we attack, we want it to count. So I say, Lord, help me. Help me listen, listening to what this person is saying. You might need to explain a little bit about what deliverance is. Maybe they don't know. They, they've read some things or, or they really don't know. So I always bother to explain, even if they say they know. Uh, I might say, have you, have you been and had deliverance before? And if they have, and if you're quite confident that they've been through something similar to this and it's similar to what you do, you don't have to do it. But uh, people like to be in the know about what's going on. Usually I take them to Mark chapter 1 and I read that passage of scripture. You can read it in just a few minutes, talking about the man in the synagogue and what Jesus did and how it was very simple. Don't frighten people. Make it, make it as simple looking as you can, that it was automatic. It all happened very quickly, very smoothly. There was mo no problem with it. I always like to satisfy myself that the person is saved and born again. And in the one or two experiences where they're not, I, I haven't prayed for the person actually. I think on one occasion I did. But you see, Jesus is not their Lord. So it's very difficult to pray for people where, where he isn't the Lord of their lives. Satan still has lordship over them. So I would encourage people to, to come to Christ. Now, it doesn't take hours to lead someone to Christ. Um, you have to be a simple presentation of the gospel uh, to, to understand that, that God is real, that Jesus is his son and that he died for them. And just lead them in a prayer where they make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life and they turn from their sin. It doesn't take forever. Encourage the person then to talk more about themselves. You might have done this process already, asked a few questions. 
um, and then we'll, we'll start to develop our understanding more. This preliminary part, before I would pray, I would be prepared to spend maybe half an hour or 45 minutes. Now, you mustn't let things go on and on and on for hours because you'll become exhausted. And actually, don't forget, you're going to enter into a spiritual battle against these things. So you don't want to be exhausted before you start. And you don't want the poor person who's being delivered to be exhausted. So I would limit any session to about an hour and a half. I'd talk to someone for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and then I'd pray for 45 minutes. If I felt we haven't got to the end of something, I wouldn't just keep going on and on and on and on. I would say, well, we just need to make another appointment and set it up again so you can both be fresh for the ministry time. As I said, I would write down what I'm probably having to deal with. Then I might even mark which I think are the, the principal spirits or forces that I'm dealing with. Uh, we could look at a teaching there about the strong man, who the strong man is. Remember that Jesus, on several occasions, one spirit spoke on behalf of the others. With the gathering demoniac, he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. He appeared to be the spokesman of that group. Mention the requirements of what people need to do to get free. Forgiveness, as we've looked at previously, forgiveness is very important. If we don't offer people mercy, Scripture says God doesn't offer us mercy. So we must be forgiving. I would lead them through a prayer of forgiveness. I might, they might be quite comfortable in, in praying the whole prayer and mentioning the people. If, if they're not used to praying out loud and it's, it's embarrassing, I would pray and I'll say, I'll come to a point where I'll stop and I'm encouraging you now to speak out those names of the people that in your heart you might be still harbouring bitterness or resentment towards or unforgiveness and just name them, just name them because you're saying I choose, because I would have prayed that, I choose to forgive them. I choose by an act of my will not to hold this against them. Okay. Explain again what you're going to do positively in that you want them just to sit quietly uh, some people insist that when they pray deliverance for people, they have their eyes open and they, they look into their eyes saying that's the window of their soul. I found that quite embarrassing, not for me, but for the poor person who's being prayed for. I mean, when you're just staring into their eyes and, you know, uh, getting quite agitated and angry about these things, not that you're losing it, but I mean, you are in a battle, it can be a little bit intimidating. So... I found no difference whether people have their eyes opened or closed. I think it's more comfortable if they simply close their eyes. I tell them not to pray and definitely don't pray in tongues, but be a recipient of the ministry that you are to receive. Just willingly and humbly open yourselves up to receive what is being said and what is being prayed over you. And so uh, just and as, as I'm attacking these things on the outside. I want you on the inside, in your mind, to be willing them to leave, as though you're pushing them out from the inside and I'm attacking them from the outside. So between the two of us, we should shift these things that are in the people. Then you might want to pray, ask for the anointing of the Spirit of God to come and to give revelation and so forth as you step into the battle. 
and then just start to come against the spirits. Have your eyes open at all times and start to uh, rebuke the spirits using the words, the dialogue that you'll have to develop for yourself. You might quote scripture. You might come against them in the name of Jesus, rebuking the spirit, commanding it to go. You might tell it of its end. You might uh, just bring all sorts of stuff. This is a bit hard and tricky to start because we not, might not be used to talking to the enemy or talking to the devil. Uh, and so you have to build up a dialogue, a way of speaking to them that it takes time. And um, it's an onslaught of words, remember. We overcome him by the word of our testimony. It, it's like the breath that comes from our mouth. The word of God says it's like a double-edged sword. So we have to develop this technique of speaking against them and coming against them and commanding them to go. You might have to bind the demons, uh, both outside and inside of the person. But don't worry about all these things. The Holy Spirit will, will show you as you start to do it. You, you go, oh, I've got this idea to do something. If you get an idea to do something, do it. I've been in places and uh, praying for people, and I've had a sense of an object in the room. And somehow a person was gaining strength or the spirit was gaining strength, the evil spirit, from this object. And so I would look around the room and I would ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it? And then if he showed me, I would remove this thing from the room. I would take it outside and then, and then you go for it. So you might have weird things like that coming. And the, the Holy Spirit, see, he's your teacher. I'm, I'm only a secondary teacher. He's the teacher. I can only point you in the direction. When you get in the midst of this, it's him that you need, not me. Okay. So we gain some wisdom from teaching, but most of our wisdom comes through experience uh, of the very thing. So, as I say, just begin to speak directly to these spirits, telling them to leave the people. Should you lay hands on people when you're doing deliverance? Well, there's no harm in it. Um, we lay hands on the sick, and the sickness doesn't come into us. We lay hands on people who have evil spirits, and the evil spirits won't come into us. There's more chance of laying hands on the sick and becoming sick with the sickness because it's transferable, whereas demons are not transferable in that way. So if you feel impressed to lay hands on people, you do so. Uh, sometimes people have felt discomfort somewhere in their body, and if you lay hands on where that discomfort is, that's fine. Obviously, if it's a man that's ministering to a lady, you have to be very sensitive in this way. And if it's a lady, she's, maybe she has a, a pain in her chest or something. I will say, you put your hand where the pain is, and then I might put my hand on her hand. But obviously, if I have, in all cases, praying for women, I'd have another woman present. I would encourage that person ministering with me to lay hands on that person as opposed to me laying hands on that person. We have to be really careful in this ministry because if we step out of line at all on these matters, the ministry can be discouraged, very uh, discredited, sorry, very easily. And so we mustn't give place to the enemy allowing that to happen. Remember, you don't need to shout. Uh, authority is not about shouting. Authority is about knowing you have authority. And people who generally exercise authority, they do quite the opposite. They're quite quiet. Um, I remember my days in teaching 
a teacher that has to come into the classroom and shout at all the kids is immediately saying, I haven't got authority. But some teacher simply walked into a room, didn't say a word, and all the kids just, they went down. Why? Because there was an authority about that person. So really not shouting. We don't have to shout. I've been in some nations where, um, you know, they have deliverance tents. And then in the crusade, all these people go into these tents who are manifesting demons. And there could be maybe three or four hundred people in this tent at a time. And of course, they're all manifesting and all the people doing the deliverance are shouting louder than the people getting the deliverance. And in the end, the noise is just, it's just something else. Everyone's shouting and bawling and, uh, well, I understand that. And it's something to do with the excitement of the battle. It's something to do with one's passion uh, and so, but... Listen, I don't want you frightening the neighbours. I don't want you frightening people in other rooms. You don't have to, okay? Now, you might get a bit excited when things get on the move, but remember, uh, shouting doesn't do it. It never does. Never does. It's like when someone's talking to you from a foreign language and you think if they said it louder, you'd understand what they said because you don't understand anything, do you? I might as well whisper it as that, but because authority, authority is not about how loud we are. Um... Okay, uh, oh, another little thing here is when you're speaking and then coming against the demonic, you might want to talk to the, the person. And, and you can at any time say, I want to talk to you, Joe, Mary, whoever it is. I'm talking to you now. And so they can immediately start to talk with you unless they've gone into some sort of trance, which happens now and again, but usually they're, they're there with you and so you can talk to them. You can stop the ministry at any time and you can say to someone, what's going on? What are you experiencing? What are you feeling? What is the Spirit of God showing you? Uh, and of course they could, they could relate to something like, oh, I just remember an incident from my childhood or I remember this or I remember that. And it's an indicator, a direction of how you're to carry on in the ministry. The aim is to get the spirits out as quickly as possible. You don't want long, long sessions because they are exhausting. And uh, for the poor person being delivered, they are exhausting as well. So sometimes an evil spirit will just mess you about. He'll just, he'll not want to come out. And so he can be quite resistant to you. Well, be patient. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do we need to do here? Do we need to approach with a different attack? Do I need to pray in tongues here? Uh, do I need to read a particular scripture? Just help me here, help me here. I mean, sometimes you'll come up against something that's it's bigger than you, bigger than the ministry that you're, you're carrying at that time. Now, we don't like to admit that because we want to all think we're wonderful and could do everything. But just as these disciples came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we shift the spirit? Sometimes you'll come across something that's just a bit stronger and you might need to move that person on or to get some other help. Now and again, the evil spirits will speak to you from the person. They'll use the person's vocal cords. It's usually not the person's voice. They've got their own voice that they speak to you at. It always sounds a bit intimidating, a bit threatening. They might say they'll get you or... Uh, they know what your secrets are and they'll tell everyone or I threaten to get your family. It's usually this sort of bravado of, of talking and, and just but really once you've got a spirit manifesting and speaking, 
you're well on the way to getting that thing out because by and large this thing will just remain dormant and quiet and he will resist you as long as he possibly can not exposing himself once you have stirred him up sufficiently to expose himself you're usually on a good track to, to getting the evil spirit out i've got a list then in your notes you'll see there's a number of do's and don'ts so i just uh, move through these fairly rapidly don't use pat answers when you're ministering to people like I know just how you feel well I doubt if you do because you haven't got that problem you haven't suffered with what they've suffered from so don't say things like I, I know just how you feel just don't say things like just trust in the Lord that's not good enough they've probably been trusting in the Lord a long time and never say just give it all to Jesus because he doesn't want it Okay, he's come to destroy the works of the devil and he's sent us to do deliverance. So be careful about these little expressions that we use that don't make any sense. And I would, I would encourage you with all your Christian vocabulary, just check what you can say now and again because some of it is just so unscriptural, it's unbelievable, but we pick it up from other people. Don't think you must have an instant answer for everything. We, if somebody asks you something you don't know, say, I don't know, but say to them, I will try and find out and make every effort to find out. Um, in the Bible school, you know, some people think, oh, I'll ask Phil, he'll know, but I'm, I'm very cautious to say, I don't know, or I say, this is what I think. And sometimes if I don't know, I say, I will try and find out. Then I'm really troubled all week because uh, I have to go home and, and discover what I really think or feel about this. Don't think you have the responsibility to cast out every demon you can in one session. I mean, some people, they might come to you with just one slight problem that can get dealt with quite easily. But sometimes people come and they need to come again and again and again. I remember ministering to one lady who was involved uh, quite deeply into witchcraft. And uh, it took me about three sessions or three weeks to get her to sit down. Every time I tried to minister, she would simply go to the corner of the room and face the corner of the room. And so we'd book up session after session. I, I think in the end, I probably was with her at least 10 or 12 times. And, uh, but she was, uh, you know, involved in, in some stuff and she had given herself over in quite a serious way into a sort of a witchcraft circle. Don't wear yourself out. I said this a little bit earlier. Uh, or the person, uh, just, just book another time, another session. Uh, don't become a permanent crutch or support for somebody. Teach the person to stand in their own faith, uh, to practice self-deliverance. And also, listen to keep free, you must live a disciplined life. And, and, and tell them clearly what a disciplined life is. You might have to say, you can't do this anymore. You have to stop meeting with these people or this isn't good for you to do this. So sometimes you have to point things out, not because you want to be legalistic or put them under rules, but it's just wise if they're to maintain the deliverance they've got. Don't give advice contrary to scripture. We're sometimes tempted to do this. If someone's done something wrong, it's wrong. It's wrong in the light of scripture. And, and don't, don't just tiptoe around it. Be sensitive to people. 
But if what they're doing is wrong, it's wrong. And, and you have to show them, and show them from Scripture it's wrong if necessary. Don't advise a person to presume on God, uh, to throw away their medication, or uh, they have to proceed at a level of their own faith. Now, you might want them to move on faster, but really they can only move on as fast as they can move on, as fast as they understand or as fast as they have faith. So you have to be patient with people. Don't discuss the person's case with other people without their permission because people have come, they'll share things with you. They won't share everything at once normally. They start to open up their lives carefully. But if they ever discover that you've shared that with someone else, they won't come back to you again. And, not, not, and should they not? Don't minister alone in private with some of the opposite sex. I've said that. Uh, do be very careful about physical contact. I've mentioned that already. Don't be sloppy in the way that you counsel. I'm talking about your personal appearance or hygiene. It's amazing, you know, that the way you dress, the way you present yourself, uh, bad breath, body odour, all those sorts of things. We have to minister to people. We want everything possible to make our encounter a positive experience and, and nothing to hinder or getting in the way of that. Don't minister when you're tired, be rested. Don't think you can't fail. Okay, we can, we can get it wrong. And if you do something wrong or you say something wrong, you go to the person and you explain that. Don't be filled with pride. Pride always comes before the fall and God resists the proud. Be careful that you don't interrogate demons. Uh, you might find it necessary to ask them a question, but make it minimal. Jesus made it minimal. Uh, we found that when Jesus did ask a question, they always answered truthfully. Develop as much as you can the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are necessary, especially the gift of discerning of spirits and the word of knowledge. Be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you all the time. And then finally I've put, don't resort to fleshy methods. Now, don't resort to hitting anyone. Now you might think, oh, would anyone hit someone? Unfortunately, there's some bad press where people did hit people. And uh, there's even a story of Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you might have read some of his books. Um, he used to get quite angry and uh, on several occasions he did thump people. Well, I don't want to say anything negative against Smith Wigglesworth, but I wouldn't advise it to you. Just keep your hands to yourself, keep your feet to yourself, stay on the seat and just come against these things with the authority. You will find as you minister in this area, there's there's manifestations that come up again and again and again. There's a whole variety of manifestations, um, but if you look at them, uh, over a period of time, you can identify a spirit sometimes by a manifestation. Now, I've ministered in lots of different nations, and I've spoken to lots of people that couldn't even speak English. But what I've realized is demon spirits can all speak English. Well, they can all speak and understand what I'm saying anyway. So whether I was praying for a Russian or praying for, you know, someone who could only speak Swahili or someone who could only speak singular, all these different languages, if you come at them and just rebuke them, the spirit knows exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah, so be encouraged. 
some of the manifestations that you see, this is why you keep your eyes open when doing deliverance, um, you see it in their eyes, you see it sometimes a flickering behind the eyes all the time. Uh, sometimes the tongue starts doing some weird stuff. Their hands start going as though they're arthritic or they feel a, a tingling sensation, and maybe in their legs or their feet or just, just these things. So, like I said, Wimber said, we're students of the supernatural. We might make just mental notes of what's going on here. What am I seeing? So a little less there are things that uh, you might see. A, a mocking laugh, this laugh that's like a cackle. Often people, as you're praying for them, they will start to laugh and they feel embarrassed about laughing because their laugh is like they're mocking you. And so oh, this has happened oh, countless times and I have to stop the person and say, don't worry, that's the spirit causing you to laugh. I mean, who would go for a ministry and start laughing at the minister? Well, it's not the person, it's not what we would do. But of course the spirit would mock and the spirit would do this. So you say, listen, don't worry about this. I know what it is because that gets me even more mad. But what it does, it shows that it's manifesting itself. So you're already on a winner because any manifestation is a good thing. Anyone is a good thing. So you sometimes get mocking laughs, like a cackle, you know, that could often be linked to witchcraft. You get a cramping in the hands and the fingers where they just lock like this, they can't do anything. That could be associated with lust. Pins and needles in the hands could be masturbation. Sensations in the upper legs, adultery. A deathly look, we've explained this before, is just death. This, uh, people say, oh, I feel a tight band around my head as though something's pushing right into my head. Often I've noticed that that's to do with occult things that they've been involved with, or a curse has come through the family in relationship to the occult. So. Although the person might never have been involved in the occult, they're, they're manifesting the signs of an occult spirit because of the curse. Often an expression on someone's face will often remind you of something. It'll give a clue away. And so if I see that, that's the spirit I come against. All of that is discernment. It is discernment. It's not simply getting ideas, but it's, it's watching the body language of the people. Uh, I've seen pride on people's faces. I've seen fear. I've seen anger. Um, I've seen people like their face turned into a child's face, just as I was looking. And, and sometimes you think, am I seeing the right thing here? What's going on here? And like I said, death or I've seen seduction and just different things appear on the faces of the people. Now, did they really appear or did the Holy Spirit just reveal them on their faces to me? It's hard to tell. I would have said, oh, I just saw it in your face. And so I started moving in that direction. There are, can be some blocks for deliverance. Uh, obviously, uh, people should come with humility and truthfulness and be open. But if a person is unforgiving, as I said, because they do not show mercy, God will not show them mercy. In fact, that passage in Hebrew 18 says, my father will hand you over to the tormentors or to the jailers, which I think, well, that's a good description of what the evil spirits are if we, if we won't forgive. Um, in, involvement in the occult, if they're still involved to some degree or connected with people who are, that will hinder 
their deliverance, um, involvement in certain cults. Uh, if people have, uh, have gone through abortion in the past and uh, that's been unconfessed, that could be something that's fairly major uh, to hinder that deliverance coming forth. Uh, unconfessed adultery, various idols, uh, non-cooperation, um, I would close the thing down if I felt that people just weren't cooperating and they was, there was a rebellion or something like that. I was thinking, this isn't going to go very far. Resentment, fear, rebellion, all these things can hinder or block deliverance. Know when to stop. Remember, when you're ministering, you are in charge. You give the lead. So don't let the person who's delivered you push you into praying more or beyond what you want to pray, uh, sort of insisting that you, you do more. Uh, and when you're finished in the session, you might feel the Holy Spirit to sort of, to counsel them a little bit or to advise them on some things. Now don't go overboard because they're all, they're exhausted anyway. They've gone through quite a traumatic thing you might need to meet with them again and, and counsel them again uh, and just give them some advice regarding the things they've been set free from okay that brings us to the end of uh, lesson seven and so um, we'll go straight on to eight which will be how to keep free now before i go there i want to take you to scripture again and read scripture to you this time i want to bring a a compilation of a number of scriptures that I've gathered uh, from the New Testament, from either the Gospels or the Book of Acts, stressing the importance of this ministry in evangelism. If you think it's vital to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ with others, whether it be um, crusade-type evangelism or whether we're going to do a thing where we gather people to our church, the unsaved, or whether we go do it, do it on one-on-one, -on -one, we have to be equipped and ready to do deliverance. My uh, readings of the scripture indicate whenever anyone was sent out to evangelize about the kingdom, they were always told to take deliverance with them. So let me lead you to these scriptures. It says in Mark 1, 38 and 39, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. He took his disciples with him and it says he did it. He travelled, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So just imagine, here's the ministry of Jesus to the people of God, they're God's people, they're covenant people of God. He's going from village to village, he's sharing the kingdom, but everywhere he goes, he casts out demons. And so he's teaching the disciples, the apostles that are with him, the method they should use. Then he sends them out. Jesus went up a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. This is Mark 3 and 13. And they came to him. This is the appointing of the 12 apostles. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority 
to try out demons. So he calls these 12 to him, he appoints them and anoints them, and he sends them out with authority. What to do? Well, the scripture says to drive out demons. They went out to say the kingdom of God is near. Repent and prepare yourself to receive the kingdom. That was their message. But wherever they went, they drove out demons, it says. He sent them out, it goes on to say, in two by twos. In Mark 6, 6 and 7, it says, Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. So it gets boring reading about it. As he sends them out, he sends them out to go in twos, but to cast out evil spirits. You think, how many evil spirits were there in Israel at the time of Jesus? Was the whole, were the whole nation demonized? Well, we've looked at this before. If you're going to destroy or attack the church, where you need to get your demons is in and around the Christians. That's who you need to demonize. That's because you bring the church of God into nil effect. You, you, can, you can almost bind it up through the activity of these spirits. It just makes sense to me. Though they went out and then they did it without Jesus. It says in Mark 6, 12 and 13, they went out and preached that the people should repent. In other words, turn in your ways and come back to the kingdom of God. They drove out many demons, not one or two, many demons, and they anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. So they were healing and doing deliverance just all the time. They did it to many. Then uh, beside the 12, um, they sent disciples out to do the same thing. It says in Mark 9, 38 and 40, Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop. They didn't even know who this guy was. He was obviously a disciple that they knew nothing about because he was not one of us. So we saw him casting out demons, but we were going to stop him because he wasn't one of us, the one, the super 12 that you sent out. He said, do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle. Well, I was encouraged when I read this because deliverance is miracle working. So I've done quite a lot of miracles in my life. I'm very pleased about that. No, carrying on. Okay, so uh, no one who does a miracle in my name can the next moment say anything about me. So it wasn't only the 12 that were doing it. It appears that Jesus was sending disciples out all the time. And as people who came and listened to his ministry and saw what he was doing, they simply went out and did the same. They realized that they too had the power and the authority to do this. We read another, these are all in Mark so far, but this one is in Luke, it's in Luke 10 and 17. Remember he sent out the 72 on another occasion. He said, they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So it's not only the 12, it's, it's, the, it's the sending them out in two, it's the 72, it's those who have just watched him and picked it up along the way. In Mark 16 and 17, it says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. So it seems that believers can do this, not simply apostles or keen disciples or followers, but we can all do this. The signs will follow us if we believe. 
It says in Acts 8, 5 and 7, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed Christ. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. So he would have done it almost in mass, in, in great crusades. In Acts 5 and 16, it says, Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those uh, tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Crowds of people came for healing and deliverance, and they were all healed and delivered. And it says in Acts uh, 19 and 12, handkerchiefs and aprons uh, that had touched him, that's Paul, were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Simply by taking these bands that were around Paul or an undergarment, a tunic, and laying it on people, we see that people were delivered and set free by the power of the Spirit. If we are to seriously consider sharing the gospel, it's important that we pray for the sick. It's important. We must. It's part of the gospel. It is, I understand to get someone born again is the most important thing. But don't give them just one part of the gospel. Give them all of the gospel. Lay hands on the sick. Lay hands on the sick that they will recover. And be prepared to cast out demons. The New Testament, as we read it, contemplates nothing less. To share the gospel, we must cast out evil spirits and we must heal the sick. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. They go hand in hand. As you read through the New Testament, you find nothing else. Therefore, we have to do it. We must do it. Don't, don't do anything less than that, please. I mean, if all you can do is tell them about Jesus, well, I'll accept that. But listen, not you. You're, you're students. You want to do more. You're disciples of Jesus that are determined to do a little bit more. Okay. We're going to go on now to the last uh, lesson that I have for you. It's, it's how to keep free. We've looked at that warning several times in Matthew chapter 12, that if a spirit does get cast out of us, it will come back because it considers your body its house. I believe evil spirits to be disembodied spirits. Once they had bodies, but they haven't got a body anymore. And so they're looking for a body to enter. As I say, as you finish with the ministry, you bring the whole time to an end and then you be sensitive to the person that you've ministered to. Um, they might be quite shocked. They perhaps didn't expect what, they, what happened to them. They, they thought that you were going to pray like they'd been prayed for many times, a nice prayer, you know, and just everything sweet and lovely. And all of a sudden, uh, or I shouldn't say it, but all hell broke loose inside of them. And now they're, they're, they're a bit traumatised. So be sensitive. Don't be blasé about the whole thing. You might have seen it a hundred times before, but they haven't. And so, yeah, we need to be careful. Um, the shock would, would lead them to a sort of a reaction like, oh, am I free? Have they all gone? Well, you could, you could say yes, but you wouldn't necessarily be telling the truth. You don't know if they're all gone. You don't know if they're 100% free. Uh, convince them that they're not weird, that this is actually normal. Will you say, Philip, it ain't normal for me. I don't do this thing every day like you. Well, it is normal. It should be more normal in the church 
than it is. It should be a normal thing. Either I've got the scriptures totally out of balance and I've gone wonky, or we should see more of it. I don't think a week should go past in a dynamic, charismatic church where people aren't being healed and delivered. I'm sorry, otherwise we're not charismatic. We might be a bit lively and sing charismatic songs, but to be charismatic means we're manifesting the gifts of the Spirit in our life and in our church, and people should be touched by the power of the Spirit. So do everything you can to prevent them feeling embarrassed or awkward. Uh, Let them feel that it's quite normal what they've been through. Um, And I would always take that opportunity to fill someone with the Holy Spirit if they've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do you know if they've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, ask them if they speak in tongues. If the answer's no, just assume they haven't. And just with simple instruction, pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, encouraging them to speak in tongues. Don't just leave them to their own devices, but get them to speak and start speaking in other tongues and fill them with the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, you've driven the, the, the wicked thing out, but you've, you've put in the, the wonderful presence of the, the fullness of the Spirit. Now, if they're Christians, which they would be, the Spirit is already in there. I'm not saying that a, 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 a born-again person hasn't got the Spirit in them, but they can experience a fullness of the Spirit, which is what you want, a, a really a drenching, a soaking up. There might be some what I've called mopping-up exercises. So as you speak to them afterwards, there might be telltale signs that there are other spirits there. Well, you don't have to deal with it then. You can make an, uh, an opportunity to pray for them again in the future. This deliverance ministry is a process. Um, it's a bit like, I believe healing can quite often be a, a process as well. It's lovely if we receive a miracle touch from the Lord and whatever there is just goes. But, you know, we, we receive sometimes healing in stages and sometimes deliverances are a bit like that as well. It doesn't just all come at once. I remember when I was first exposed to deliverance and God really broke into the lives of myself and Daphne we went through about a six-month period where we, we dealt with things again and again, week after week, just as God brought things to the surface, then we were set free. See, you can't, you can't, you have to live with the, the deliverance you have. It, you can't just take it all at once. It sometimes takes time to, to build the whole thing up, encouraging people always to be positive. I would encourage even people to do self-deliverance. It might take a little bit of ministry at first, but then encourage them to sit down and to, to deal with it themselves. People want to know they're free and completely free. And um, we can be pretty much free. We might even be 100% free. But there's always the opportunity that things have lingered or we haven't dealt with something yet. So there is that openness to being free. And in our Christian life, as we walk along, sometimes we let other things come back into us and we have to sit down and deal with them again. Emphasis, the need to stay free. Demons will try and return, as we have said. Uh, So try and strike a balance between them being uh, careful in the way that they live their lives 
and not being afraid uh, that demons are just waiting around the corner as soon as they get out the, you know, wherever they've been receiving deliverance, the things are ready to jump in them. Don't do that. I read a lot, quite a few books by a man called Frank Hammond. You might know that name. Um, he wrote a book called Pigs in the Parlour. Some people didn't think it was a great title, but I quite enjoyed reading it. And I actually met him on several occasions. And so, you know, But he was from Texas, and he used an expression about living above the snake line. And uh, so, so you, can, you can go higher up a mountain where snakes aren't because it's too cold for them. So the idea, he used to use this expression being a Texan, it wouldn't mean much to us. He said, I recommend you live above the snake line, you know, so you don't, you don't live in a certain place where these, these things can come. You steer clear or you get above them. Follow-up is important. If you're in the same congregation as the person, you can go talk to them and say, how are you doing? Give them a few days or a week and go back. If not, it's always good to give somebody a ring and say, how are things going? It could be things have got worse. And so you don't want to leave them out there. You say, well, I'm very pleased to meet with you again and we can talk some more or pray some more. So uh, following up is important. Um, tell them to guard themselves against counter-attack. When the, when the enemy's cast out, he doesn't think, oh, oh, I'll just go. No, he says, I'll try and find my way back in again. I will try and manipulate the situation so I can gain entry. So you might have to counsel people wisely. You must realise that in doing this ministry, it's not very welcome. Some ministers don't like this. Um, and I can't say too much about this, but you have to be very careful as you step through this because um, if, if you're part of a church where they don't want you to do it, you just have to tread carefully. No, you can't deny what you know and you can't deny if God has gifted you with something. But if you're in a church where they don't agree with it, you're not free to just go around doing anything you like. You have to submit to that leadership. If they have certain safeguards in place, you have to respect the leadership of that church and the things that they ask of you. And you have to keep talking to them and see if there's a way in which you can get round it so you can be obedient, as it were, to those in authority. But at the same time, you're free to exercise the ministry that you have. I found with some churches where the ministers are opposed to it, what they do, they, they send me their worst cases. Um, people are really in a mess. And of course, you, you take them on with good faith. And of course, you don't get far with them because they're sometimes pretty bad. You know what I mean? But then they go back to their churches and uh, the minister says, see, it's no good. The ministry doesn't work. Well, that wasn't really fair. You know, you send me someone who's pretty bound up with some stuff and, and, and it would take a long time to unravel. And even the teaching that they receive and how they live their lives, it, it's just some people have got themselves into a really, really deep pit. And I'm not saying they can't get out and you can't get them out, but it takes a lot of work sometimes to get someone out of a deep pit. And it takes time and it takes patience and, and perseverance. But it isn't simply you minister to them and they're free. 
they need to be in a loving fellowship, they need to be encouraged, they need to be receiving good teaching, uh, they need all of these things. So deliverance is just part of a Christ-centered ministry. It's just a part of it. It isn't the answer to anything. If you're in a, 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 not a very good church that doesn't teach you much at all, you won't grow much. That's just all there is to it. You must receive good teaching. Uh, you need a good fellowship where people encourage you. Your ministry needs to be encouraged. Otherwise, we won't grow. We will be, uh, you know, it just, it's just hopeless. So uh, deliverance is not just the answer to everything. As I said, some people will need ministry again and again. Never be frustrated. Be patient with people. Love people. I can imagine in the ministry of Jesus, there were people that came back to him time and time again. I would have, because they would have loved to be with him. They would have loved him to minister to them. Okay, and, and you know, I'm sure when Jesus laid his hands on them, they didn't all turn into Jesus's instantly. No, no, that's not what the kingdom's like. It takes time, time and patience. Should people share with others about the deliverance that they've received. Well, there are cases where it's, it's a good thing to do and the cases where it isn't. Jesus talks about casting pearl before swine as though what you say, they'll simply trample on what you've said and you'll feel bad that you've ever said it. You've, you feel somehow you're ashamed uh, and so you can feel, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't taken those precious things and, and shown them to people just for them to to trample all over it and sometimes it might be the very thing you should do is to go and share with somebody else how Jesus has set you free how you were once full of fear and now you're not full of fear how once you felt rejected and cut off but now you don't you feel part of a body because of the ministry that has been delivered to you keeping free we have to live by the scriptures it's not a question of simply going to church, singing the songs. We have to live by scripture. The scriptures of God must get into us because when we receive his word, we receive life, we receive direction, and we hear the spirit of God. So we must live by the scriptures. And this is done by a choice, not done by your feelings. Many times I don't feel like doing what the scripture says, but I do it because I'm directed by it. Learn to praise God continually. Maybe life isn't going too good. Okay, I understand that. But praise the Lord every day of your life. Give him praise and glory. Now you might think, well, it isn't real because I feel down in the dumps. Listen, he's still worthy of your praise, whether you're down in the dumps or on the mountaintop. Just praise him because he's always worthy of praise. Protect and guard your thought life. Learn to change your thoughts quickly. Do you ever get angry with somebody and start mulling the whole thing over and what you're going to say to them and if they said this to you and what you'll say to them? No, you're all above that, I know. Praise God for that. But listen, if that gets inside your head, stop it. Just stop it and start to say positive things about that person. You can control your thoughts. You can, because I said the other week, we, we, we've been made, we can only think of one thing at a time. If you think good about me, it's hard to think bad about me at the same time. So if you're thinking bad, stop it and start thinking good. 
Okay, so we must be positive. We must fill our head with the positive things of God's word. We need to cultivate right relationships. There needs to be in your relationship someone who's more mature than you, who can lead you on, on, and you need to be reaching out to somebody who is less mature than you, that you can draw them up. And in that way, that's how the church is supposed to develop and grow. Who are you looking to? Who do you spend time with? Who do you talk to who's mature and in the Lord and would love to spend time with you? See, I've got this bee in my bonnet. I think a lot of the, the older members of the church are basically discarded. It's, it's like, oh, the young know, the young will do it, the young will do this, the young will do it. Listen, take advantage of older people, sit down with them. They're not going to run around and build a mountain with you. I understand that. That's a job for young people. But they have wisdom and they have experience. And you should spend time with them, find them. And, spend, and then you should also look to someone that you as, you, as you take the teaching in, you can teach them. Remember that as I encourage you to come next week. We should all be teachers, he said. You should all be teachers. Well, who are we going to teach? Well, like I said, you won't stand on the platform necessarily, but there's some young new convert Christian who's, who's desperate for the things of God and start to talk to them and start to teach them. Now, if you're then thinking, oh, I'm not quite sure about it, it drives you to the word of God to understand the topic well and then to be able to teach them. I'm thankful to God that I'm a teacher because it drives me to the word of God to try and break it down so at least I can give it to someone else. So, but I've got to get it first. So we should all consider ourselves to be teachers of God's word and get hold of the word in that way. You need to submit to discipline, both in the church and outside of the church. Remember, Satan is a rebel. He was a rebel from the start, and part of our old nature is to be rebellious. But we have a new value system, and it's about love and submission and humility. Don't be afraid to spell out what these guidelines mean to some people. Uh, sometimes we're a bit of afraid to tell people what to do. You don't have to be arrogant and bossy, but sometimes people need to hear clearly, you need to stop seeing that person. You need not go there anymore. You need to stop reading those books. You need to think differently about this because people don't know. If they come with humility and you minister with humility, they'll take what you're saying. They'll take it on board and, and they'll do it because they really want to grow. Finally, I want you to guard your life and guard your family as well. Because in this ministry, you set yourself up to be a target. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has chosen to sift you as wheat, but I, I will pray for you that your faith will actually grow stronger and your faith will remain. So if you step out into a ministry like this, a ministry to help and support people, the enemy will put you in his sights. He will, if you're not there already, he'll put you in his sights and he'll come for you. But you can be assured that Jesus has said, I've, I've prayed for you, I will keep praying for you that your faith will remain and you will be stronger as a result of this. Now, 
what normally would happen if I taught on deliverance and it was in a whole situation, I would do mass deliverance. Uh, now, that means I would take a, maybe a topic like faith or uh, sorry, fear or rejection or something like that. And I would tell the people to sit quietly and I would rebuke and come against these spirits just en masse, hundreds of people uh, if necessary, or 50 people or whoever were in the hall. And uh, sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not. Most people are very conscious who they're sitting next to. And so they wouldn't even manifest if they felt like it. So that doesn't always work. So anyway, I can't do that on Zoom. I don't think I'm going to do that on Zoom. Uh, I'm so detached from you in this, this system, so I won't do that. Now, all, what I would do is say, listen, if I've upset you by what I've said, not upset you, your theology, but upset you because there might be something that needs some prayer or uh, you might need some help from, I would say, please make an appointment and uh, we'll get together and uh, we'll deal with this and we'll pray with it and talk about it and, and, and do, some, do some warfare. Again, uh, at this particular time, that's not possible as well. So uh, all I can say is when this is all settled, and uh, we can do that sort of thing again, if you just go through Luke uh, and uh, he will sort out something because the call on my life is to set the people free. I know that, the call on my life is to see people who are bound, delivered and set free. And it might not be the call on everyone's life. I get that. God gives us different graces and giftings. But I am committed that if anyone asks me for deliverance, um, you know, and, uh, all the conditions are met there, I will spend time with you so you don't have to labour under demonic pressure in your life. You don't have to. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and please remember that next week we begin a new module titled Foundations. You can still register for the course by heading over to our website at ariseministry.org.uk. If you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can also leave a donation through our website Secure Online Payment System. A rise ministry, a living legacy.